welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy. One thing, one thing. And so we're in this series called One Thing and we're exploring Psalms chapter 27 where David talks about the one thing. And I believe God's going to do some amazing heart work in here this morning. But hard work is often hard work. You can focus as much as you want on the outside of your life. But if you don't fix the inside, it doesn't matter about the outside. God cares about the heart work, which is the hard work. It's the work that you have to do within your heart. It's the heart surgery. It's the day by day, letting God in, day by day, surrendering your own agenda for his. Over and over and over again, even when it hurts. Even when it's hard, God cares more about the heart than you realize. Because out of the heart, the issues flow of life, Proverbs says. Out of the mouth, really the heart is speaking. Out of the heart overflows into or flows into what you say out of your mouth. God really cares about your heart. For where your treasure is, Jesus says, there also will be your heart. What do you care most about in life? What comes out of your mouth the most in life? Well, that's usually a reflection of what's in your heart. So if God can get your heart, he can get your tongue. And James says the tongue can light a whole forest on fire. So if God can get your heart, God will fix your tongue, and you'll light good fires, not bad ones. Because some of us are good at lighting bad fires. Right? Bad fires. You know, negative, and we're, we're negative Nancy. Sorry if your name is Nancy. We're just negative, and we're lighting fires, but negative fires. God wants us to light forest fires for his kingdom. He wants us to light good fires, positive fires, fires that will do good things for our lives and those around us. But we've got to fix the heart. And I believe God's going to adjust some things in the heart during this next three-week series. This is week one of our One Thing series. Now, let me give you a little bit of context, and we're going to dive into this. Go to Psalms chapter 27. Psalms chapter 27. David wrote this psalm. David was known as the greatest king Israel ever had. He was the second king. Saul was first. Saul lost his assignment, lost his anointing because he was disobedient. That mantle from one king, Saul, came on to David. You know the story probably of Saul and David. There's lots of fighting going on. Saul was threatened by David, jealous by David. He was throwing spears at David, wanted to kill David, wanted to murder David. David ran for his life but chose to honor God. David could have taken out Saul multiple times but didn't. How many have ever felt like you've been hurt by somebody and you want to hurt them back? And maybe you did hurt them back, but where did it get you? Nowhere. David had the opportunity to hurt Saul many times, even kill him. But he decided and knew in his heart because he knew God. Because he spent time pursuing the one thing that matters. And that was the presence of God. When he was taking care of the sheep on the hillside, when he was just a shepherd boy, he spent time aligning himself with the one thing that matters. Seeking God with everything in him. And he had an understanding that he was not to touch the Lord's anointed. Even though Saul had lost his assignment, he was still the appointed king in that time. And even though David could have assaulted him and had every reason to probably assault him because he feared for his life, he chose not to. See, because you respond and you react according to your revelation of who God is in your life. You respond and react to people, situations, and things in life based upon the revelation of who God is for you in your life. If your first response is always to hurt those that hurt you, then your revelation of God is, is not very strong. And you need to grow up into that. That's why God wants to do some heart work over these next three weeks. He wants to 
grow our understanding and expand our understanding of who he is. And so David, you got to understand, David has gone through a whole bunch of stuff. When you read the Psalms, you got to read the Psalms in context. It's poetic, they're prayers, they're prophecies of things that are connected to things that he's going through and things he's hoping for. He's going through some stuff. He's processing his emotion. Emotion is good. Look to your neighbor and say, emotion is good. Emotion is good. God gave you emotion. Don't be afraid of emotion. You know, when I first gave my life to Jesus, I used to be like anti those Pentecostal people. And they're way over emotional. What's the deal with them? Until I actually had an encounter with God that changed my life. I started to see that God is the God of emotion. That you would not have emotion without God. God gave you emotion. Emotion is good. It's just got to be harnessed right. And guided right. And guarded right. So David, these psalms really are a place for him to process his emotion. And he's asking and he's seeking God in this time. He's, he's, he's got enemies all around him. People are trying to come against him, take him out, discourage him. It says in Psalms 27 verse 4, the one thing, everyone say one thing with me. I want you to get this. I want you to leave over the next three weeks hearing this echo in your mind. One thing, one thing, one thing. I want you to meditate on that phrase, the one thing. What's the one thing? The one thing. This, by the way, this is one of the most famous psalms, if you, don't, if, if you don't know. This is actually one of the most famous psalms. One of the most famous psalms of David. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek the most. So you see here David's asking and he's seeking. You know why? It's not just enough to ask God for something. God wants to take that to another level and get you to seek him within the asking. You can ask God to make you a successful business guy or a businesswoman, but if you don't seek out the right situations, environments, and education and processes, you will not become that successful businesswoman or businessman. You can ask, but unless you seek, you will not receive. There's asking and there's seeking. There's God, I, I want it, and then I'm going to do whatever I can to go after to get it. So I'm going to do my part to go after to get, to get the very thing that I'm asking. You with me? When you ask God for something, there's a responsibility on you to position yourself to receive that something by seeking Him out in every scenario and situation of your life that connects to the very thing that you're asking. So I'm asking, I'm seeking the one thing, the one thing, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live. Say it with me, live. Live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting. This is so important, okay? David was the best king that Israel ever had. In in, In Acts, it was noted of David that he was a man that sought after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart because of his obedience, it says. He was a man after God's own heart because of his obedience. David had a heart to build a house for God. Even though he didn't build it with his own hands, his son Solomon did, he funded it. So he had a heart to build a resting place for God. A $54 billion tabernacle in our, our money. Some of us get offended when we put money into like a sound system. God designed a temple, gave Solomon the blueprint, said, now build me a $54 billion temple. It's got to display my beauty in its entirety. Solomon's going to do it, but David, you're going to fund it. So David had a heart to build because in that time with David, before the house, the, te- the tabernacle, Solomon's temple was built, okay, the, all they had was the tabernacle. It was a temporary temple. That they had learned to set up in the wilderness. And it held and hoarded, so to speak, the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the presence and glory of God. You couldn't even touch it without dying. It was so holy. And there were all these things around it that also made the area holy. And priests would go in to sacrifice once a year the Holy of Holies, the holiest of holiest places, The high priest would go into sacrifice to atone for the sin of all the believers, of all the Jewish people. Once a year, it would happen. 
And if there was any sin, that high priest would die and then have to drag him out. You had to be the high priest to go into there, into the Holy of Holies. So there was a temporary temple that was set up in this time. But David dreamed of one day of building an actual location, resting place, which is actually where I just, wa- I, I, I just was, which is where I, I was just in Israel. I was just there. I mean, it's no longer there. There's another temple there now. But I was just there. And you can still see the ruins of the original two temples because there was two that were built. The first one that was torn down, and then it was rebuilt, and then that was torn down. And then because of all kinds of stuff that happened with the Holocaust, the Jews fled, and it, it got occupied by other people, and they built the temple in the very area where Solomon's temple was. It's a beautiful, beautiful area, Jerusalem. Beautiful area. But David had a heart to build a resting place for God. And so when you read this, you got to understand the time frame. He, there was no physical temple yet. It was the temporary tabernacle. That's all David had a grid for. But he was dreaming. So he says here, my one thing, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. That word actually means building geographical place it means like an actual physical place a place that was consecrated and deemed holy for the people of God to gather a place to worship God a temple a tabernacle verse 5 says for he will conceal me there when troubles come he will hide me in his sanctuary and he will place me out of reach on a high rock now what I want to do is I want to stay in verse 4 this morning And I want to break down verse 4, talking about the one thing. So write this down if you're taking notes. That one thing. Write that. That one thing. That's my subject. That one thing. We're we're exploring about what that one thing really is for David. You know, and humans think this way. I don't know about you. We all think this way. How many think, like, if I just had this one thing, then all these other things would line up? If I just, you know, got the job, then I can get married. That one thing will happen. If I just got the house, oh man, I'll be so much more happy, right? And we attach our happiness, we attach our peace, we attach the result of what we're looking for to the thing. The job, the relationship, the house, the car, the thing that we think is going to fix everything else that's wrong in our life. If we can just get this one thing in order, everything else is going to be good. How many think this way? Come on, everybody probably at times thinks, hey, if I just have this one thing, if my son can just get this one thing in order, then everything else will go well. If my daughter can get this one thing in order, everything else will go well. If my sister, my brother, my fa- my mother, my father, my manager at work, my boss, if they could just get this one thing in order in their life, everything else that I've been looking for will happen. It's not really true, though. It's not really true. If I could just win the lottery, then I'll start to be really generous. No, if you're not generous with one dollar, you will not be generous with a million. That is a guarantee. You always are called to start with where you're at. We got to be careful we don't worship the one thing, the wrong one thing. Because if we get that one thing, chances are that one thing that we're worshiping, that we think will solve all the other things, will actually be the very thing that takes us out. If I can just get this debt paid off and we're worshiping our debt, we're just like, oh, this debt, it's all about the debt. If I can just, and then we get the debt paid off and then we go into a new debt. We think if we do one thing, it's going to change everything else. That's not the case, unfortunately. But there is one thing that David understood was the most important thing. And it was centered, it was centered entirely around the presence of God. Write this down. When the one thing becomes the most important thing, we get the very thing we are looking for. When the one thing becomes the most important thing, we get the very thing we are looking for. It's quiet in this room. It's good. You're writing. I heard someone say the other day, man, people that take notes are like dream listeners. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's a, it's a dream to be with people that actually are listening and taking notes. <laughs> so if you're not taking notes, you're not part of my dream. Anyways. One thing. The most important thing. When that's 
in line in your life, everything that you are looking for will shift into your life. It's the promise of God, Matthew 6, verse 33. Jesus said, if you seek first my kingdom, and it's righteousness, all these things that you're looking for, that you're freaked out about, will actually chase you down, will follow you. You're following after money, but God wants money to follow after you. You're following after prestige, significance, but God wants those things to follow after you when you follow after the one thing that matters, and it's Him. He's created you with a purpose, and when you get a hold of Him, you get a hold of His purpose for your life. It's organic that way. Things just begin to happen. You don't have to push down doors. God pushes them down for you. If you push down a door that God doesn't want you to push down, let me tell you, somebody will close that door in your face and it will hurt. But if you let God push down the door, no man can lift the door that's already down. There's no, there's no door going back up in your face if God opens the door. Because God opens and closes doors that no man can open and close. When we put him as the one thing first. And I, was, I remember, man, I, in Israel, when I was in Israel two weeks ago, I, there's something about the place that's so special. And it's not just getting into the history and getting into the reality of the God in me that has changed my world upside down, put his feet on these areas that I'm putting my feet on. That's surreal in and of itself. It's amazing. It's, it's, you can't, it's like so hard to comprehend that reality, and it's incredible. But there's something about the land that speaks to you when you're there. It's like everywhere you go, it feels like you're touching heaven. It's super strange. Anybody ever been to Israel in this room? So you know what I'm talking about. It's like a super strange, it's like I feel like I'm walking in the Chronicles of Narnia. It's like there's like another realm because you're, every time, everything, every stone that you look at, and even the original stones that would have been there in Jesus' time and the walls that are still, some of the parts of the wall that are still the original parts of the wall when Jesus was there in the city. It's like I'm touching a stone that Jesus himself touched. I'm walking down an area or a path that Jesus most likely walked down. It's, it's incredible. The land has, is like anointed. The land has like spiritual juice on it. You just, you, you, when you walk, you just feel like you're connected in a different way. It's absolutely incredible. And when you're there, you realize like in the Jewish culture, like spirituality wasn't a thing they did on, on, on Shabbat or Friday night to Saturday night. It wasn't a thing they did on Sunday. They didn't do it on Sunday. But there wasn't a thing they did on the, week, on the weekend like we do. Their, their spirituality was intertwined into every area of their life. There was no separation. It was all connected. As Westerners, we, we disconnect from that reality, and everything is compartmentalized. We have our Sunday morning, and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we're like disconnected. And it's like we got to come on Sunday to get our fix. Inject me, please. But man, every day with God is a day to receive his freedom to receive his grace, to receive his life, to receive his strength. Every day is a new day with him. It's not a once a week thing. The Jewish people had an understanding of spirituality and how that connected to everything. It wasn't God first, family second, ministry third. No, it was just God first in everything. When you're with your family, it's God first. In your business, it's just God first. In, in your personal life, it's just God first. It wasn't like segmented like that. We as Westerners think more like the Greeks do. Everything's linear. One plus one equals two. But the way the Jewish people would think, one plus one could equal 10,000 today and 20,000 tomorrow. It's just they think differently. And you know what? Jesus is a Jew. Jesus thought differently. That's why when you read the scriptures and you understand the way that Jesus went about the way that he did the things that he did... You see and hear him through that lens. And when you go to Israel, you start seeing things differently than you used to see as simply just a Westerner reading the Scripture. I can tell you so many things. 
about the way that we see that's so far from the way that actually Jesus saw in that time, that historical context. It's totally different. The things that matter to us don't matter to him the same way. Man, I, was, I had this dream this week. It's kind of funny that it happened during the launch of this series. I had a dream this week a few nights ago. And I won't go through the, all the details, but I had this dream where I was speaking at this really big church. It was a big opportunity. And uh, it was actually in a place I lived. I used to live in Minnesota. And it was a place I lived in Minnesota. And it was a really big church. And uh, I was speaking there. And there were some people in that were going to be at the meeting, or, that, or actually at the meeting, that were from uh, an, another time in my, uh, in my life. And I got to the meeting, and I was dressed up, but I was wearing a hat. And I'm like, man, what am I doing? I can't, I'm not gonna, I can't wear this hat. I'm like dressed up. It didn't, it was weird. It didn't fit the outfit, really. I'm wearing this hat, and I'm like, I got to go back, and I got to do my hair. This is what I'm thinking in my dream. I can't. And I took my hat off. You know, you have like the bed head. You have like the like the head. It's like pushed out in one area. It just looks kind of, you know, you guys know what I'm talking about? Some of you have bed head in here this morning. And so, you know, I, 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 I like, I came in. I'm like, I, I got to go back to my room, which was like far away. I got to do my hair. I got to be like presentable. That's what I was thinking in my mind. But I, in my mind, I'm like, but I might be late for the meeting. Like, this is a really important thing. And this crew of people that I, have, I knew in another life, I knew that there was something about a restoration of reputation. You know, there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about the heroes of old that never saw the promises but believed, died, died believing. And it says they were of good reputation. They had a good reputation because they died and did not give up on the promises. They never saw their promises. They died. And what gave them a good reputation in history was that they died never never giving up and not stop stopping and believing for the promises that God had promised for them. That's what gave them a good reputation. God wants to restore your reputation. How? Because you believe in the word that God has said to you and over you in your life. That no matter what comes your way, you don't stop believing. That's what will restore your reputation. And so I remember I was in this dream. I leave the meeting. I go. I can't find my room. I'm like searching for my room. I can't find it, but I'm determined to get my hair product for, for my hair. It's super strange. And, and I, I'm now, I'm like further and further away. I can't find my room. I'm going to be late. And I remember thinking, I'm going to miss this opportunity. All because I was caring about something that God really didn't care about. And God, I, I believe this as a prophetic word, we are going to miss our moment and miss our time and miss the thing that God wants for us if we care about the wrong thing instead of the right thing. Not that some of those things don't matter, but when they're, when they're weighed against other things that really matter, they really don't matter to God in those moments. And I was late for the meeting. I lost the opportunity for that meeting. I furthered a bad reputation that I had had with these people in that meeting because I cared about something that did not really matter. And that's what David got a hold of. He got a hold of what really matters. The one thing that really matters is my pursuit of him. You guys, you could come to church every week and not know him. This is not a religious game that we play. This is a relationship that we're developing, that we're growing into with the one who created us with a purpose. Your destiny and your future lies and rests on this truth of how much you know him. Not know about him. Not how many scriptures you can memorize and spout and speak out. It's about do you know him? Is he first place in your life? Is he the centerpiece of your life? When you weigh all the other things that are going on around you, do those things matter more than the relationship that you're developing and growing into with him? Because David got this. David was one of the most well-respected kings. Why? Because he had this one thing intact. This pursuit of God above all else. And then the guy was busy. The guy was king. He was a worship leader, but he's also a king. The guy was busy. 
The guy was tired, worn out, weary, chased down, had a lot of haters. But he had this one thing intact, this pursuit of God. Let's go back here again in verse 4, chapter 27. The one thing I ask, Lord, and the one thing I seek most is to live in the house. I want to give you three things that David is asking and seeking. I want to talk about what makes up the one thing. What makes up the one thing. And in the following weeks, I'm going to break down the outcome of one thing. The outcome, the results that come as a result of focusing on the one thing. But today, I want to talk about the three things that David really is asking and seeking. Number one, the first thing that he's seeking is to live in. Write that down. To live in the house of the Lord. That word live means to be established. That word house means family. You know that? You know that you're created for family? Kingdom. The kingdom of God is family. It's, it's relationship. It's this. This is a part of family right here. You may not know some of the people in this room, but if you're in Jesus, if Jesus is in your life, this is family to you. That you have the ability to receive the benefits from other family members in this room that you do not know yet. David had an understanding of the value of family. He says, I want to endure. I want to establish myself in the family of God. I want to be connected, man. I want to be connected with the life-giving source that comes from people. Because without people, if all we have is a temple, all we have is a building, it means nothing. See, the Jewish culture had an understanding of family. What makes up the Jewish culture is food, family, and faith. That's what it is. Food, family, and faith. But they know how to eat, man. I went to a real Shabbat. Shabbat is what we call Sabbath in the English, but they Shabbat, according to the Jewish custom and law, is Friday night to Saturday night. Depending on what type of Jewish person you are, if you're Orthodox, if you're ultra-Orthodox, or if you're a secular Jew, depending on the type of Jewish uh, um, ordinances you follow, so to speak, will determine the type of Shabbat you have. But I went to a real Shabbat on a rooftop looking over Jerusalem on Friday night a few weeks ago with one of the most successful successful Jewish businessmen in the world. Donald Trump's uh, son-in-law's best friend was there, who's a big part of funding this whole trip that I was on, all these prominent Jewish leaders and then a whole bunch of Christians. And it was an incredible experience. And the food, man, the food, the, 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 this guy was like a Jerry Seinfeld, this Jewish guy. He was like, literally, I, was, I felt like I was listening to Jerry Seinfeld. He was so funny. But we had an amazing time. But I saw what it looks like to be a part of that culture for a moment. Family, faith, and food. It's incredible. And David understood this reality. He said, listen, I don't want to just live one moment. I want to endure. The word is establish myself in family. You guys, the only way you establish yourself in family is if you're consistent. Let me just talk about the flakiness of church culture. If you want relationship, you got to invest in relationship. So many of us, because we feel rejected, are waiting for somebody to invest in us. But because we feel so rejected, even when they invest in us, we reject them. And we reject their investment and then blame them for not caring about us. When if you just step, st stood back a little bit and looked at the level of investment they actually are trying to, to put in you, you'd realize, wait a minute, it's me, not them. I can't tell you, I've been around this, I've watched it for, for years and years now. People that come into church and feel rejected, but they've, they came in with a rejected spirit. No matter how much you accept, how much you love, they push it away. They push it away, they self-sabotage because in them, they have a poverty way of thinking that I am unworthy of any love. I am un unworthy, no, no, no matter what I do, I am unloved. And so before you even love me, I've already rejected you because all the walls are around me. And then when I peace out, I blame you for being the problem. But let me just tell you guys, we are all responsible in our own lives to be open to connection and community and family. We are all responsible. When we get a hold of God, it doesn't matter what man does to us. I believe God wants to bring us to a place where we are unoffendable. 
when we're so confident in God's thoughts towards us that no matter how many people reject us, we're good. Jesus even said it in Matthew 11 to John's disciples. said, listen, guys, blessed, blessed is he who's not offended by me. In other words, blessed is he who does not let offense trap them and keep them stuck. That word blessed means to be elongated, to grow up, to expand. I want to expand every time I'm offended. I want to grow up. I want to mature. I want to, be, I want to find that blessing every time I'm offended. Am I unoffendable? Not yet. But I believe it's God's heart for us to grow up into a culture where we're so confident in God's confidence towards us that people don't have the same power over us as they used to. The reason why people leave the church is because of the church. But that's not really the reason. They leave the church because people are hypocrites. Well, so are you. The very person that left the church because of the hypocrites, they're just as much of a hypocrite. We're all hypocrites a little bit on the inside. Right? No one in here is flawless in all their ways and all their doings. Come on. So you leave the church because somebody was mean to you or gave you a start. Well, you do the same thing all the time. You just want to find something to blame to justify your disconnection. You with me? I know I'm hitting it harder for somebody in this room right now. But it's good. I'm here to offend you so you become unoffendable. So David had this heart to live in the house of the Lord. This, this word for, for house means to, to be family. It, it also means, comes from a word that actually means to build, to become a builder. You know what David was saying? I don't want just to be connected to family. I want to be a builder within family. God doesn't want you just to come to church to participate. He wants you to be a part of building his church. He wants you to be a contributor to his church because you are a member of his body. So if you are a member of his body connected to him, the head, who is the head, guess what? What does it look like when you see a body functioning but parts of the body not functioning? That's what it looks like. We're dragging all kinds of people around that are participating, but not a part of building. But when everybody's building and functioning, there's a strength in the walk. And the city takes notice because, wow, there's something healthy about that community. Why? Because everybody's contributing. Everybody's playing a part. Everyone's playing a role, the role that they are called to play. You get, you get what I'm saying here? A healthy body looks like something. But if you're on the sidelines, listen, a friend of mine just, just quoted this. God does not, has not raised up and is not raising up anointed bench warmers. God does not want you to be a bench warmer. He wants you to be in the game, throwing the ball, running the bases, hitting the ball, even if you feel like you can't. David said, I want to live in. And some of us are waiting for the opportune time. One day I'll get involved. One day you might be dead and it's too late. One day when I'm perfect, well listen, that probably will never happen. One day when all my ducks lie, line up in a row or that when that one thing, like my, that one thing happens, then I'll get involved. No, listen, right now you're on the bench. God's calling you to get into the field. To play your part because, listen, when you're planted in the garden and you pull yourself out of the pot, which has limitation and is very lonely, and plant yourself into the garden, your root systems strengthen the other root systems of the plants that are already in the garden. What's in you gets on them, and what's in them gets on you. And you grow up together strong. But some of us, we're so addicted to the pot. We're addicted to the pot. We love the pot. We're alone in the pot. No one can touch us in the pot. But the pot is limitation. You can't grow your root systems very deep in the pot. You can't grow very tall and wide in the pot. You're limited. But that's what it looks like when you just come to church week in and week out. And I'm not talking to people that have been coming here for like a few, a few months. I'm talking about if you've been here for like three, four, five, six months, there's a shift that has to take place or you will dry up. 
Because you're created to give, you guys. You're created in the image of your creator who is a generous God. John 3, 16, for he so loved the world that he gave. He gave. He's a generous God. He gave. You with me? You're created to give. So when you're not giving, eventually you'll dry up. You'll get bored because you're not meant to sit on the bench. David's like, man, I want to be a part of family. I want to live in this place. I want to endure. I want to establish myself, the word is. I want to be a part of building something. And that's what he was. He ended up becoming the guy that resourced the whole temple. I want to be a part of building something. Number two, write this down. David, that one thing that he asked and that he sought was to live in the house of the Lord, but also he wanted to delight in the Lord's perfections. Write this down, to look at. David desired to look at, just to stare at. Just to stare at. Have you ever been in a place, maybe it's a museum, maybe it's a painting, maybe it's some sort of decorative piece and you just want to stare at it. It's just so beautiful. It's so awesome. You ever been, oh yeah, your wife, your spouse, hopefully, you just want to stare at them. Ever been in a place where you just want to stare at something? Anybody in this room? Yeah, yeah. You just want to stare. It's so beautiful. That was like what I felt everywhere I was in Israel. I just wanted to stare at the, the ground. I was just like staring at the ground. Everything was just awesome because in everything I could see God. In everything I could see God. Literally, I could see God. I could see Jesus in everything. See, David had this heart not to just live and be a part of family, but to, to look at this one thing. I want to be captivated by how incredible you are. I want to behold is the word. When he says delighting in the Lord's perfections, he says to behold, to stare. Even means to prophesy. I want to prophesy from the place of staring at your goodness. I want to prophesy. I want to declare how beautiful you are because I'm literally in that space all the time. It means to gaze at mentally, to perceive, to contemplate. It means to have a vision of the Lord's beauty. I want to so be in a place where I am literally transformed by how awesome he is. Now, I'm speaking about him like he's my friend because he is. I'm not speaking about God like he's this iconic, disconnected figure from my life. I'm speaking about him as though we are connected because we are. God wants to bring you to a place where you're so connected that you can speak about him like this. That you don't come, when you pray, you don't just say your, your daily prayers that are on your fridge, on the magnet on your fridge. You actually come with language and you talk to him like a friend. You talk to him like a friend. You, you, go, you go into that place in an, where, where it's, where it's undis, there's no distractions and you just hang out with him. You know, they used to have, they, they have these, these prayer shawls that they call talits that the, the rabbis would wear. And you see them all wearing them on the, on the plane because they pray three times a day. On their, a certain times, they'll get up and they put the, the, the talits on. And this was one of the things the rabbis would talk about as the prayer closet. When Jesus said, you know, go in when you pray. Don't babble like those on the corner, visible to all, but go into your prayer closet. Well, a lot of the rabbis believed that this was the, the, the prayer closet. So they put the, the tallit over the head, and then they would close it like a closet. And the reason why they would close it is because they couldn't see anything to distract them. So they'd be focused on prayer and having conversations with God. Some of you need to get into a place where you're used to having private conversations. It may be awkward for you at first, but that's the way you develop relationship. Having private conversations. Getting into that place where you can look at him, where nothing else matters. Are you guys getting something from this? You know, this was Moses' cry in Exodus. Moses said, I just want to, I want to see your face. And God said to Moses, hey, I don't, I'm not going to show you my face, but I'll show you my back. <laughs> Imagine that, eh? Like, you can see my backside. My face will kill you, but you can see my back. Moses' cry was that he, that God would show him his glory. 
I want to see you face to face. There was a time, you can read it in Numbers, where in the tent, Moses was the appointed one leading Israel through the wilderness. Where Moses literally, it says Moses would talk to God face to face as a man speaks to a friend. You know what that, that word actually means? It means I'm so close I can feel your breath on my face. I'm so close to you I can feel, I feel your breath. Just turn to your neighbor and blow, no, don't blow on them. <laughs> but you, you, you all know those people eh, that come to you and they're super close you're like backing up, backing up, backing up because you can feel the wind, you know what I mean? You get what I'm saying? Right? But they don't get the picture. They don't get the revelation that you're backing up. They keep going forward. You guys know those people? Yeah. <laughs> we have a lot of them in the house. I'm just joking. <laughs> and, uh, but honestly, that, that's the kind of culture that Moses had. I'm so close. I'm so in that place of gazing on you that I can feel your breath. It was, it was sort of like a metaphor but also a true reality of what Moses felt in his relationship with God. David echoed this in his prayer. I want to be so close I want to seek and I want to ask for this revelation that I can always stay in a place of seeking and gazing and staring at how beautiful and amazing you are. Because when I look into your eyes, I see the reflection of myself the way that you see me. When you get really close to somebody, you can begin to see the reflection of you in their eyeball. I want to get so close to God that I see me the way he sees me because I see the reflection of myself in him. And the reality of it is, guys, listen, under the new covenant, you are, you're never going to get any closer to God than you already are right now. But what does get closer to God is your awareness of how close you are already to God. You're never going to get any more of God than you already have right now. But what happens is your awareness develops and increases in a way where you become aware of how connected you already are. That's what it's all about. This, this happened to me in multiple times in Israel. And I remember the first time I went there, my favorite thing to do was, it was very simple. You might be like, well, that was very simple. But there is one area in, it's called the Southern Steps near the Western Wall, near where Solomon's Temple would have been. And this is the area where Jesus 100,000%, like this is the only place they actually know for sure he would have walked up and down like this exact area, and he'd go up into the, the doors that are now blocked, into the temple courts, into the temple to pray three times a day. And so he'd walk up and down. So these steps, the southern steps near the western wall, um, we, 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 all, we all went there, and it was my favorite time. The first time I went, probably my favorite thing. The second time I went as well. And we had like a full-on like encounter worship service on the steps, looking out over Jerusalem, right on these steps. And I just wept and wept and wept and wept and wept because of the reality of what the land was speaking to me. I can't describe even what I'm saying to you. But you just feel something so special when you're there and you realize that this is where Jesus, Jesus was. Like I see the beauty of who he is. He stood right here. He walked up on these steps. I just stayed on my knees in the most uncomfortable position for as long as I could. This is where his feet were. The God that I know in relationship walked here. You guys, do you understand how valuable those moments are? When you're in a moment like that, the God who's changed the game, who's changed your life, put his feet on these steps. In those moments... Nothing else matters. I just want to look at how awesome God is and be present in the moment. David had this heart. Number three, write this down. We're almost done. Number three. The one thing that David asked and sought was also not just to live in or to look at, but to lean on. He wanted to lean on. It says here, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections. And then this, he closes with this, and meditating in his temple. Now this speaks of an actual place, an actual place that was set up to house the glory of God, an actual place, kind of like what the tabernacle would have been, an actual place where God's presence dwells, an actual place 
And in this place, I want to meditate. I want to inquire. This is what we do. You know that? We, we do this here.